Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast on Sagebrush Wisdom. This week, I'll be joining with my friend Mike Borchard, and we will be talking about spearfishing for bluefin tuna. Now, one of my biggest excitements here on this podcast is focusing on things in Southern California or maybe people in Southern California and what they're able to do. But in that, I understand that not everybody has been spearfishing or not everybody has gone fly fishing. So there's a lot of terms and a lot of very big ideas that we cover very quickly for these sports. Therefore, something like spearfishing for bluefin tuna, we might mention what seeing a foamer would look like. Now, if you've never seen a bluefin tuna foamer, basically it's a whole school of tuna, and this could be 500 fish, 1,000 fish, 10,000 fish, all feeding on one bait ball. And that causes a disruption in the water that's maybe unlike anything you've ever seen before. So what I want to start doing to some degree is introducing a little bit more of the podcast beforehand so that if you maybe aren't familiar with what we're talking about, you can kind of get an idea of what we might be talking about. So this week, I just want to briefly describe what Mike Borch is talking about. So when he goes spearfishing for these bluefin tuna, first in spearfishing, he's holding his breath underwater. So he's not using any sort of scuba tank or assisted breathing mechanism. He's doing this all on his own and even more than other spearfishing experiences. Basically, this is more of a Navy SEAL operation. And in all seriousness, it's actually very dangerous to do this, especially without proper skill or training. They start their day normally 40 miles offshore in about 1,000 to 2,000 feet deep of what we call blue water, which is uh, not connected to necessarily any structure. And then Mike Borch and his friends and other people who do this are basically spotting tuna that are maybe a mile away or two miles away. They see some birds dive bombing on the water and they instantly try to move over there as quickly but also as stealthily as possible to get ahead of these tuna who are feeding on this bait ball. Once they get into the right location, they basically get kicked out of the boat with their gun loaded, their mask and fins already on, and they jump into the water as fast as possible and swim straight down, um, sometimes 60 feet 80 feet and from there they're spotting a tuna and they're trying to shoot that with a spear gun now the spear gun obviously has elastic bands and 
has some sort of caliber, but unlike a normal spear gun that maybe can shoot a spear shaft, you know, 10 feet, 15 feet at a lethal level, these tuna guns are made to penetrate big fish. And from there, they fight the fish using then an air-filled float connected to float line that uses buoyancy to pull the fish back up to the surface. So this week, um, I just wanted to give a brief picture of what we are talking about because we don't really talk about the entry level of what spearfishing for bluefin tuna looks like. Instead, we kind of get into the bigger weeds of why he's doing that and why he thinks it's important to do things like this in your life. So I'm really excited about this podcast Um, this week. It was really fun talking to him and also very, very inspiring. I hope that you like it as well. Um, It's very (laughs) adventurous and Mike is a person who lives with a lot of adventure in his life. So I'm really excited about this. In other news, I just wanted to mention again that there's the Windward Westward uh, Quail Club dinner, June 22nd. That's a Wednesday at 6 p.m. Again, if you could visit windwardwestward.com and sign up for the newsletter, you'll be able to get more information from there on where the dinner will be held. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sagebrush Wisdom. Today, I have my friend Mike Borchard, and uh, we'll be talking about spearfishing for bluefin tuna. So uh, he's about to fly off to Costa Rica and do some work, um, but we're going to get straight kind of into it today and talk about his kind of beginnings in spearfishing, but then really his big goals for spearfishing and how he ended up going after bluefin tuna. So without further ado, Mike, can you uh, just give me a brief introduction to uh, where your dream started for uh, bluefin tuna? Oh, man. I mean, it was interesting because at the point in time when I was just kind of getting into spearfishing for real and really caring about it and wanting it to be something that I was good at. That was kind of the same year that all of a sudden, uh, bluefin tuna started coming up into Southern California waters and, Mm -hmm. and, and a fishery that didn't really used to exist at all near shore to us started to exist. So it was kind of this weird time of, I was just getting into spearfishing and starting Mm -hmm. to pay attention to things in the dive world and what other people were doing kind of at the same time that all these people were like, Holy shit, there's bluefin coming 50 miles offshore from yeah. Southern California, which had never happened really in the past hundred years, hundred years. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe it has previously, but no one was out there diving. So no one would even know. So 
I was like this total rookie trying to, <laughs> you know, get back into it and, and figure it out and progress and sw- uh, swimming around with my pole spear and whatever. But then meanwhile, when I was, you know, looking around the dive world at people, they were going out and shooting these tuna right off the coast. And I knew that was something that people did around the world. Like mm-hmm. you could take a trip and you could go to Panama or you could go, you know, to Latham Island or you can go wherever and yeah. chase tuna. But the idea that something like that was right in our backyard and was, was, whoa, it felt so far away from mm-hmm. what I was doing with, uh, with my, with my pole spear. So yeah, at that time I was just like, I don't understand anything about how these guys are doing that, but I know that I want to do it. Yeah, basically, we all kind of... I got into diving when you're kind of going through your resurgence Mm -hmm. of diving, but then we are still always doing our shore dives and, you know, going after sheep's head and calico. And then we started getting into yellowtail, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know... I'm getting pretty obsessed with this whole bluefin tuna thing. And you were the first person I remember talking to about bluefin tuna. It was like, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't really understand that this was so big in the fishing world yet. But now it's like bluefin fever. You know, three years later for me, but like really, I guess in 2015 is when it kind of started. And now like... 2022 you can barely even buy tackle for bluefin tuna stuff because it's being sold so fast because people just want to get in it you know get their big big fish and so far it seems like the fish are just getting bigger (laughs) off the coast you know yeah i mean it, it seems like they're just coming closer there's more of them they're getting bigger they're coming earlier i mean what's today today's monday i was out on saturday Mm-hmm. shooting bluefin tuna yeah. in, in May. But I mean, that's something that in the beginning, a reason why I started to get obsessed with it was because when I started realizing both just from reading and talking to other people that they were like, Hey, I mean, in the past, if you wanted to shoot a bluefin tuna, you were going to spend thousands of dollars mm-hmm. dr- flying around the world, going on guided trips, or you were going to be searching for a unicorn. Guys were going out 100 miles offshore to Cortez Bank day after day after day after day and shoot one 40-pound bluefin tuna and come back, and it was like the craziest thing in the world. And then all of a sudden, it shifted something in the ocean or the environment or the mm-hmm. patterns of how the fish are migrating. They started coming close by. And I think still, even right now, now that it's been whatever it's been six years, seven years, people take that for granted and they Mm -hmm. just assume, Oh, it's going to be summer and the bluefin are going to be here and it's, everything's going to be great. And I hope that's the case, but there's really no guarantee. And for, like we Uh said, hundreds of years before that was, there was, I mean, if you, if you told the guys who were diving in 2010, if you tried to explain to them what would be going on now, there's no way they would believe you. They would mm-hmm. say there's absolutely no chance. So to me, I felt like this is an opportunity to do something really cool in our backyard, in the place mm-hmm. where we live and where I've grown up and learned to dive and all this stuff. And it can be easy to take those opportunities for granted or feel like, oh, well, you know, like next summer I'll get into it or this or that. But like we could mm-hmm. wake up next summer and they could be gone again for the next yeah. 200 years yeah and so when you kind of got into that mindset of going after a bluefin like how did 
you change from shore diving to big blue water diving? So I don't know that I changed anything about what I was doing in the moment. I more just changed how frequently I was doing it. If that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, Oh, I'm swimming around with my pole spear and learning how to hunt fish and how to dive and how to move underwater and all these things. And all of a sudden like, okay, I need to go buy a tuna gun. It was like, I was very aware that I was not ready for that. And another thing, which I don't know, we could talk about is a lot of people shoot bluefin tuna these days and Mm -hmm. you can do it. You can go pay a charter and you can get on the boat and they'll have a gun for you and they'll have gear and they'll load the gun for you Mm -hmm. and they'll find the fish for you and they'll tell you when to dive and how to dive and help you find the fish and you can put one on board and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's not really the way that I wanted to do it. I didn't Mm want to go pay someone to find fish for me or tell me what to use. I wanted to figure it out, start to finish on my own and go out with my friends on our own boat and have my own gear and find the fish ourselves and figure out how Mm -hmm. they move and what to look for and all that stuff on our own. So at the time for me, it just meant I was even more motivated to keep going out and diving with my pole spear, you know, like I'm a big believer in progression and Mm -hmm. working up to things and earning the opportunity to do certain things. And so, yeah, in 2015, I really wanted to shoot a bluefin, but it wasn't even on my radar to me. It's like the first step in shooting a bluefin is going and spending as much time as I can underwater with a pole spear, Mm -hmm. getting better at diving so that I can work up to that point in time. And at that point it was like, well, hopefully I can do that and get there before the fish are gone because Mm -hmm. everyone felt like we don't know, are they going to be here for a year? Are they going to be here for three years? And you know, now it's been however many and they're still here and hopefully they stay. Yeah. Hopefully it's, it's really interesting. One quick side note of the bluefin that could or could not be, uh, not a reason why they're sticking around, but Mexico does do a lot of, conservation management for bluefin which i didn't know about until just recently but there's a couple kind of hatcheries where they help bluefin really grow kind of like the hubs institute for white sea bass but you know bluefin tuna tuna in general is probably pound for pound almost like the most eaten meat protein in the world when you think about it because yeah i mean add in the cat food and the dog food and mm -hmm. canned tuna and sushi and tuna steaks and whatever like it's a huge huge market so with all of that said it being overfished there's this strange world of bluefin tuna were almost on the endangered species list you know as as like a warning you know but um there's also a lot of management done to keep them around and to keep them the schools like as big as possible. Right. And to keep totally. And I mean, it's something that I think helps in California too, is that you can't fish commercially for bluefin, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, cause we've been out for them and you'll see the purse seniors out there scooping up skipjack or whatever. And it's gnarly. And I know there's research that goes into those fisheries and whatever, but you mm-hmm. know, one, Purse saner could scoop up an entire school of fish, 10,000 pounds of fish, 40,000 pounds of Mm -hmm. fish in one net, pull them out of the ocean. So I think not having them being harvested on that commercial level, Mm -hmm. um, 
and really only limiting them to two per person per day for recreational anglers is pretty helpful as well. Not yeah. to mention that whether you're trying to spear them or get them on hook and line, two fish a day is a pretty epic day. I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, so. Yeah, so it's it's been really exciting, and obviously I think everybody hopes that they'll stay around, but you never know. They kind of showed up after the last El Nino, and they could disappear again at any point. Absolutely. So with that, you went into building up to bluefin tuna. Can you describe a little bit about what that next level of offshore fishing looks like? Um, getting on a boat, going out to blue water, looking for fish, all that stuff. Kind of like, let's say your first, your first trip. I don't think it was successful, but when you started looking for fish, you know, what are you, what's going through your head during that like boat trip out? Like, what do I need to do? What are we, what is the boat going to do today? Kind of all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the main difference is, and the main piece of knowledge that's missing for people is how to find the fish and how to look for them. And then once you do find them, how to get on them, mm -hmm. you know, like if you take yellowtail for an example, they're pretty curious fish and in many situations are pretty dumb. Like mm -hmm. the part where you're underwater and the yellowtail is underwater and it swims towards you and you point the gun at it and shoot it is probably the easiest part of that equation. Yeah. Um, like if you can swim around on a shore dive and shoot calico in the kelp, like good size, smart calico, like you can shoot yellowtail. You'll probably find it a lot easier, mm -hmm. but first you have to get underwater where the yellowtail are. Yeah. Um, and tuna is very much the same the same thing is um, the two big differences for me was one, as we said, we didn't want to pay a charter or whatever. So we have to figure out how to find the fish. And then once you find them, how to dive on them mm -hmm. and the diving style is totally different because you, I mean, the schools are moving underwater. They're not hanging around a reef or a kelp forest and milling around. They're mostly transiting. I mean, maybe you could get lucky and find a mm -hmm. foamer or breezer where they're feeding, but for the most part, they're moving really fast underwater. Mm -hmm. So once you find a school and you're in position, you have to dive right then. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get the time to take a nice breathe up and make sure your gun's all good and, you know, drain any water out of your mask that leaked or whatever. Like mm -hmm. if you even spend the time on the surface, taking a couple breaths and trying to relax by the time you dive, they may be gone. They've moved on. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the main, the main difference was how do we find them? And then how do we dive for them? It's different. You know, if you go in the kelp bed, I could spend five minutes on the surface relaxing and breathing up. And I typically know if there's a nice calico there, he might go hide in a hole, but he's not going to go that far. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, and if I come back the next week, I could go to the same stretch of reef and there'll probably be calico there again mm -hmm. or sheephead or whatever. Whereas with tuna diving, I mean, one day you could be in an area and there's tuna everywhere. There's yellowtail everywhere. And you could come back next week and there's not a single sign of life. It's a completely desolate yeah. piece of the ocean. So understanding those patterns and what the fish like and how they move and where to search for them was a huge learning curve for mm -hmm. us. So, uh, what happened the first time you were maybe close to tuna? 
like did you see birds dropping in on the water or did you see a foamer or so, i mean we'd seen i've seen some foamers for the first time that i saw a tuna a bluefin underwater i was diving on a patty so i had my real gun or no this was the second that was the first time i shot a tuna the first time we saw one we were driving around and we kept seeing them foaming on the surface and looking for birds and we kept trying to get off the boat and swim really fast over to the foamer and dive into it which Mm -hmm. doesn't really work very well (laughs) at all but there were a couple times when i saw them underwater but at that time i didn't really have the gear um we had been on a on an island trip and just happened to drive and see them Mm -hmm. so we were like let's go check it out um one of the first times i went out specifically trying to target tuna we were in the area and i we saw a patty that had had some yellowtail on it so i was in the water with my real gun and i'd shot a couple yellowtail and uh i saw some birds fly overhead kind of doing the thing where they're scanning and looking like they're tracking fish so i I figured the school of yellowtail was coming back underneath the patty so i i did a dive and as i was getting to about 20 30 feet the viz wasn't that good i in my head i was like wow this must be a different school of yellowtail because they look so much bigger but Mm -hmm. it was a bunch of the backs of bluefin tuna. And so I, I leveled <laughs> off and they had just breezed the patty and I had my two band <laughs> real gun, but I was like, fuck it. I'm going to shoot one. Like they're right yeah. <laughs> in front of me and I've been trying to do this forever. And I, there was a huge patty above us and we had the tuna gear on the boat. So I was like, I'm going to shoot one Hold and I'm going to swim up as fast as I can. And I could climb on top of the patty, which is, be really hard for the fish to take under you know it'll be a ton of resistance and i can yell at the guys on the boat right there to throw me a float or something and i'll clip it on my reel and like there we go that's the plan and i had time to think about it because they were just walling all around so i literally thought of this whole plan and i lined up and i and i shot one and immediately the thing took off i think i took four kicks towards the surface and it had taken all 300 feet of line off my reel. I was completely spooled before I even got anywhere near the surface. Like the whole plan was torched. So I figured I was probably going to lose the gun. Um, so I remember bear hugging the gun and trying to swim up. And I was kicking up as hard as I could. And I was going down because I was completely out of real line and I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to let go of the gun. This is it. And I gave it, gave the gun like one last tug. Um, and the fish tore out mm. because it was, you know, the other thing is you shoot a fish that big with a small gun, the shaft's not going to penetrate all the way through and the slip yeah. tip's not going to come out the other side. So it was just toggled in the meat inside of it. So when I gave it that last, like, desperate tug before letting go of my gear it would just pulled the slip tip back out of the meat but that was quick education on like okay <laughs> what league this is in. an entirely <laughs> you know because i feel like i shot you know big yellowtail 40 pound plus yellowtail on my real gun i'd you know mm-hmm. been down to baja and shot big pargo or like other mean fish on mm-hmm. my real gun and you know it's, it's an experience but you could do it and that was very i very quickly realized like you over a certain size there's absolutely no chance that you're going to shoot a tuna on a real gun unless you stone it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you probably came back home instantly and you're like, all right, let's actually get serious about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, at that point I had some of the gear, but I was like, okay, I need all the gear. And it was just another piece of the puzzle that we learned, which is 
if you're in the zone diving for bluefin tuna and if you find a patty and they think there's going to be yellowtail, you should bring a tuna gun mm-hmm. every time. Because just like yellowtail like patties, bluefin like patties. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about it because the yellowtail mill around and they're right there, but bluefin will cruise back and forth and congregate underneath patties, even if you can't see them. So even just two days ago on this trip, we knew we were diving patties with our tuna guns every time I mm-hmm. shot a seven pound yellowtail with my five band tuna gun. Because <laughs> when you dive a patty, if there's tuna around and you're looking for tuna, you should have your tuna gun. And it was funny because one of my buddies on the boat dove a bunch of patties with his tuna gun and he wasn't shooting the yellowtail because he's like, I don't want to deal with shooting them on my tuna gun. And it's such a pain to reload. So on the next patty, he was like, I'm just going to take the little oh, small marauder and shoot a yellowtail. And sure enough, that one time, one patty he didn't get in with his tuna gun on this was on Saturday, two day two days ago. He goes down for a dive and comes up and is yelling at us on the boat, Bring me my gun, bring me my gun, there's tuna, there's tuna, there's tuna. Because <laughs> they were on the patty they were on the patty. So, you know, it's little things like you gotta kinda decide mm-hmm. what you're what you're going for. And if you're going for tuna, then like, yeah, that's a lesson we've learned the hard way is like yep. if you're gonna dive a patty if you, unless you're really, really set on only shooting a yellowtail, you should bring your tuna gun because there's a good chance you might see a tuna. I, I feel like you live in such like an interesting world because you kind of have come up with this dream to go after bluefin tuna and you put your head down and you said, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to sleep until this starts happening for me, you know? And then very quickly you either met the right people or had the right friends, whatever it was that your world kind of expanded really quickly. And you're just, like you said, fully committed to going a lot and going after it. And it's interesting to see you kind of go into that next league for me. Like I'm happy to shoot a yellow tail once in a while with a spear gun, but for the conventional reel, like that's all I want to do is catch a bluefin tuna on on a reel, you know, whether it's a with a jig stick or surface iron or a little Colt sniper or whatever. There's something so addicting to this idea of the tuna being around. It's a fever. It's kind of makes you go a little crazy but i feel like you stepped into that world really strong and said like more or less like i deserve to be here and i and i feel like that also is a big part of where you're successful is because you're like no today we're not going to fool around with calico at catalina we're going and getting serious we're going to go for the big fish today (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i definitely have been lucky with people that i i've met who have had boats and have you know been on the same path as me as like this is something that we want to do and we're willing to commit time and effort and money for boat gas and whatever Mm -hmm. into going and figuring it out but i do think you touched on something important of, of deciding Um, you know, you have to have the confidence to say, I'm ready to do this. Or or like you said, I deserve to be here. And I think that comes from having 
done the preparation and done the work, whether that's in fishing or your personal mm-hmm. life or your job or whatever, it would kind of, you know, when you're like, well, what was the first step to wanting to shoot bluefin tuna? It's like, okay, well, if I'm going once a week with my pole spear, like I need to go three times a week. Like I need to get way better at this mm-hmm. slowly. And by doing all of those things, then you get to a point where you feel like, okay, like, yeah, I, I, I know that when I get there, I'm, I'm as ready as I can be mm-hmm. for what, we think is going to happen. Yeah. And then you get there and you're probably like, wow, it's totally different than I'm what I thought not it was ready gonna be. at all. Yeah. And I'm not exactly ready, but you still are in a way better position. I think than, um, you know, if you just show up day one and try to have someone hand you a tuna gun and, and go shoot one and, and, and you could probably get it done, you know, like that's the thing is on some days they come real close and on some days they're not or, some days are shallower, deeper. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's definitely an element of luck to it, but I do think how you said it's, there's, there's something about the fact that you don't know that they're going to be here forever. That makes it fleeting. Mm-hmm. That makes you, there's like adds to the drive of wanting to go do it yeah. because you know, like when we went out two days ago, like, yeah, I've been kind of busy. I go to Costa Rica tonight I whatever, like it would have been easy to be like, no, you know, I need to chill. Like I, mm-hmm. I can't go. Even like the wind was bad this last week. Like everything. We like- had a pretty sketchy report. It was a long run. I think it was a 20 hour day. Mm-hmm. We left at four in the morning and we got back at midnight. So yeah, it was, a, it was 20 hours on the boat. <laughs> like, you know, so it'd be easy to say no, but then I don't know the fact that it's fleeting. You think about, okay, mm-hmm. well, like if I show up next summer and they're gone and yeah. then for the next 10 years, 15 years, everyone's like begging for it, begging yeah. for it, having to fly around the world to get yeah. this experience and like wishing for those days, you'd be like, dude, like I stayed home mm-hmm. so that I could sleep or I stayed home so I could like do laundry, like fuck that, like wear dirty clothes, be tired. Like if you, you know, you mm-hmm. got to go do the things that you feel like are important to you. Um, you know, and that's kind of my attitude more than just with fishing, but just with life is like, yeah. dude, like I, you know, it's, and we keep talking about the tuna being gone, but you know, you, I could get hurt. Like something could happen to me. Like any of the things that we're doing mm-hmm. right now is super, super fleeting. And I feel like, a lot of people feel like we have all the time in the world to do stuff. And I have always felt like, like right now is the time. And I hope that the fish are here forever and everything's great. But yeah, to me, that's like a big motivating factor is like, I don't want to be sitting around three years from now and the tuna are gone and they're not around. And I didn't go because like, I wanted to like have clean socks or like sleep in, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm going to, we're going to get into this in a second, but this is exactly like what I want to be talking to you about, but you're going to be able to share if, if you have kids someday or you're an uncle or whatever it is, you're going to be able to share the photo and multiple photos of you holding such a big fish next to you. It's like, it's bigger than you. It looks like, you know, so, um, kind of walk me through the day that you actually got your first bluefin tuna, because like I said, in a way you're making history, at least for yourself when you do this, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like I got really close, and I shot that one on the real gun, and then I felt like I was really ready. I just needed the opportunity. And then I went on, like, three or four trips um, where just we couldn't find them, or the weather was terrible, or, like, I never saw them underwater. Like, I didn't get the chance. And I was going nuts at this point. Like, at one point in time, I had been in California, so I was living on Oahu, and I had flown back to Hawaii from a job that I did I can't remember where, but it was on the mainland somewhere. So I was, I'd flown back from, from California to Hawaii and I landed and I'd been there for like 30 hours. And my buddy was texting me. It was like, the they're weather back. is incredible. Yeah. Like they're back. Like, do you want to go? And I was just like, yes. And I went to the airport and got on a plane and flew back to California. And my girlfriend, Christine is like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. But that, like, I don't know. To me, like, again, like I, like that, I, that's just how I am when I, like, I, I like to set goals and I, I love the feeling of like, accomplishing them. And so when I decide I want to do something, that's kind of how I operate, but I flew back and then I didn't even get to shoot a tuna on that trip, but still it's just like, I feel like the more that I invested rather than getting discouraged, it was like Mm -hmm. the more that I'm committed. Um, and then the day that I finally shot my first one that I landed because I'd shot the one on the real gun and I'd had some other chances underwater where I'd missed shots or I hadn't taken a shot because I didn't feel like I'd been able to get close enough or whatever. But the day that I finally landed one, it was oddly like I felt like I had worked so hard on these other days where I was unsuccessful, like yep. going out and sitting on the back of the boat in my wetsuit mask on fins on ready to go for like eight hours, yeah. like getting sunburned, roasting, like trying to pay attention and like do these deep dives with no breathe up and then just never get the chance. And then the day that it finally happened was just an amazing day of beautiful weather and the tuna were everywhere and it just happened so easily. It was mm-hmm. funny that after like so many times where I'd felt like I'd really like grinded for it the day that it happened. I think I was limited out with my two tuna by like 10 30 AM. Yeah. And we my all the other guys on the boat had shot tuna. We turned around and came home at noon. Like we yep. went out there, it was clear water. It was no wind and the tuna were crazy curious. Like we were shooting them and we'd go down. And at one point my buddy and I both shot a tuna at the same time. So we were doubled up and there was a group of three of us. So one guy was on the boat and us two were in the water and normally only one person shoots a tuna. And then the other guy kind of becomes like the helper to help fight it and mm-hmm. keep lines clear. Cause it's rare. Normally when you shoot the gun, they all spook. So it's not, not that common that both guys get one, but so we were both doubled up fighting the fish and the whole school was still all around, circling yeah. around us where all our two fish were fighting on the line. And we were jokingly like yelling at our buddy on the boat. Like one of us would get on the boat and leave the float, like bring your gun and we can triple <laughs> up on fish. And we we're like, okay, that's a dumb idea. We're not going to do that. But it was crazy. Just like, so yeah, it was almost it. It what did feel a little bit like almost like a sense of relief. Like I felt like I was putting so much into this and I had built it up to be this crazy goal where really in the scheme of life, like shooting a big fish is rad and all, but it's not like that important, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think it was more, it, there was even a point where I was like, it's more important for me that I can tell myself that I have done what I can do to achieve this goal. And if like I go all in and it doesn't happen and then the fish leave, 
I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if they're gone and I never shot a tuna and everyone was like, Oh, like that was crazy when the tuna were here. Like, did you ever get the chance to shoot one? Yeah. I can be like, no, I didn't, but I'll feel okay with it because I know that I made as good of an effort as I could made as I could make. So then when I finally did shoot one, it was almost like a sense of relief of like, okay. Cause it was also every time I was going and doing this, Christine at the time was my girlfriend was now my fiance. It was like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Like you're like flying back and forth everywhere, like spending all this money. And then I'd come home and she'd be like, did you get any fish? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, why do you keep going out here? If you come home empty handed, like just go to Catalina and like shoot some yellowtail yeah. and, or like shoot some calico and we can like have a big dinner. Like why, why are you doing this? But, it, and it's a good question. Like why, why, why are we doing it? And I don't have a good answer. Um, yeah. but it was almost, <laughs> so the first fish I shot was almost like a sense of relief when I, when I landed that one, I was like, okay, like I finally, I finally, and then, so the second one that day, I really was almost more stoked and more like enjoying the moment uh-huh. on the second fish. Cause the first one I'd put so much pressure on myself from just having put so much into trying to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the best and most amazing things of all hunting and fishing and all that stuff is, is the emotion. And I have already talked about this a couple of times in other interviews, but you have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. When you see your first bluefin tuna foamer, like people are screaming and yelling and just ecstatic, you know, like last year, Zach and I, I we're coming back from the 277 or something. And I'm just like, what is that? Like literally just like questioning it. Like, uh, like is that dolphin? Like we had seen a couple pods of dolphin and it was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, this is definitely tuna. We, are on tuna and we just lost our minds. Like just before we even got to the fish, we were just like, we hooked up, you know? And then you start casting on them. They wouldn't bite anything. And we're just casting and casting and casting. And so you go in one, in five minutes, you go from being over the moon with joy and euphoria to being down in the dumps and just, so demoralized you know (laughs) it is so true so literally two days ago on saturday it it is it it doesn't the emotions never fade i feel like which Mm -hmm. is something that's special about it and you know it, it reminds me of like playing competitive sports or other things like that, mm-hmm. where you're just, you're, you're running from these moments of high adrenaline to like trying to relax to then being completely yeah. demoralized to beyond stoked. So yeah, just two days ago we were out and we went out on the sketchy report 4am. We ran super far and we'd seen a couple small signs of tuna, but hadn't really seen much. The morning was a little slow. Nobody took mm-hmm. any shots. And then, you know, I, we'd spent the better part of a day, um, we sitting on the back of the boat, fins on, wetsuit on, mask on. And I finally had got the first two times I'd seen him underwater. They hadn't come very close. It was like, and they were deep too. So I kept having to go like 60 feet straight off the back of the Mm -hmm. boat, no breathe up and you'd level off down there. And right when I leveled off, 
both times, the closest they ever were and the best shot I had was the immediate shot right away. Yeah. So both times I didn't take it. That's normally not my style. I like to kind of wait and kind of let them circle and whatever. And so both those times I didn't take a shot. And then from that first immediate moment, they were farther away and bailed. So then the next time I was like, okay, well, I just need to take that first shot. Even if it's a long shot or not a great shot, like that's how they're behaving today. So the same thing, we saw the marks, I did the dive, leveled off like 65 feet and the first one's right there. And so I, I just like, with I just boom, like took a long shot and I missed. And after I missed, the whole school was super curious and all just comes right in, all right around me, like <laughs> 10 feet away. And my buddy who had dove just after me shot like a hundred pounder out of the school. So I was all <laughs> stoked for him, but I was so bummed. And the way we do it is typically like you get a couple chances on them. But if you, if you take a shot, like it's another guy's turn, whether yeah. you miss or whatever. And like, you know, so then it was someone else's turn. And I was like, Hey, and I was so bummed. Cause it was just like, this is so frustrating. The first two times I play it patient and they bail. So then this time I'm like, I got to take the quick shot, which I take and it's not a good shot and I miss. And then they come and just swim all around me and my buddy shoots one. Yeah. I wonder though, if you didn't take that shot, if they would, who circle. knows, who knows? You know, right? what, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been all stoked in the morning and then I was pretty bummed at myself. Like, dang, like you're blowing it. Cause I, my, my thought process is like, you get so many opportunities, yeah. right? And then it's just, are you going to capitalize on those? And so I was bummed at myself. And then later in the day, my other buddy shot a fish and my other guy, other guy on the boat, his ears were messed up. So I got another chance mm-hmm. and I go down and this time I wait and they're all waiting and the school's bigger. And I shoot this huge fish, probably the biggest one I've ever shot. And I think I break its spine because I shoot it and it kind of rather than immediate, normally they swim straight down yeah. super hard. And this one does a thing where it's trying to swim, but it's basically just vibrating yeah. and going in loop-de-loops like up yeah. to the surface. So I'm so stoked. I'm just like, I went from being so bummed at myself before and then I get another chance and then I shoot this fish and it seems really big. And so it does the vibrate thing and then it swims down, but real slow. And so I go over to the float and I'm pulling it up and I can tell while I'm pulling it up that it's just dead weight. Like it's not fighting. I'm just pulling up dead weight. And so I pull up the whole fish and when I, when I pull it up, it pulls up horizontal, just floating. Uh huh. And it's huge, dude. It's by far the biggest tuna I've ever shot. Maybe one of the bigger ones I've seen underwater. Yeah. Um, and so I'm so stoked, full euphoria. And I get the gun to go. Originally I wasn't even going to put a second shot. I was just going to do a kill shot. And then my buddy who was in the water was like, dude, that thing's huge. Like put a second shot in it. Yeah. Let, let's just put that on the boat. And so I get the gun to do the second shot and the fish, it's not even moving. It's not like, it looks totally dead. And so I swim down to take the second shot. And right when I get kind of close to it, it I swam down in its blind spot. So it couldn't see me. It kind of like drifts the other way. And it's this really weird shot where I'd be shooting like basically into its belly and like out its spine, like not a shot that I really want to take. And I was like, I'm just going to, so I about to pull the trigger and I'm like, I'm just going to swim around and shoot it in the head. And so I pull the gun back and I swim around to shoot in his head like two seconds later. And the thing sees me and just wakes up and goes berserk and immediately goes nuts and starts sounding and tears off the line and it's gone. That's it. I lose the fish. (laughs) Biggest one I've ever shot. It was bigger than me. It was probably, it was easily over 200 pounds. So yeah, it's like, but like you said, it goes from the emotion of like, I'm 
stoked at first. Then I bummed because I missed the shot and I get another chance. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just Mm -hmm. shot the biggest fish I've ever shot. And I stoned it. I didn't even have to fight it. Like this is insane. I'm so stoked. Go down and put the second shot in it make the decision to wait and put a better shot in its head. Yeah. It disappears. Now I'm like on suicide watch. I'm beyond bummed. Yeah. But then our other buddy on the boat, Colton, he'd never shot a tuna before, which I didn't even realize earlier in the day. So we put him in the water and he shoots his first tuna ever mm-hmm. right as the sun goes down at like 8 PM while we're still like 60 miles offshore. <laughs> so now we're all beyond stoked again, but yeah, it's an absolute <laughs> roller coaster of emotions of like you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. Um, oh. but that's, that's kind of what's amazing about it. <laughs> that just is but like I, too I, much in one day. It's too much. And I feel like every time you learn a lesson. And so this time my, the lesson that I learned is don't be, like, don't be overconfident. Like yeah. the past couple times I've gone, I've gotten pretty dialed on the process and I feel good. Like I can find the fish, I can dive them, I can shoot them, I can kill them. Like, you know, I put fish in the boat. And so this one was a big fish and I was kind of like, oh, I don't need to take this whatever shot. I can swim around and put mm-hmm. it in the head. I was trying to be too cute with it. And the lesson yeah. was, you know, don't forget that a 200 pound tuna is still a 200 pound tuna and it can wake up and decide that it wants to bail. And like, yeah, if you're, it's so you can, wild. You cannot get complacent. I, it's even hard to like verbalize like all the things that go through your brain when you're about to pull a trigger, when you do pull a trigger. So many times in hunting and spearfishing, I feel like is closer to hunting than just fishing, but hunting and you have obviously the control of pulling the trigger but it's, this isn't the best shot. Do I shoot or not? You know, like. Yeah. I mean, there's so many little micro decisions that you're making mm-hmm. and you can second guess each one of them over and over and over again. And I feel like fly fishing, you can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I don't know much about rod and reel fishing and maybe you're making all these little adjustments and whatever, but definitely fly fishing. It just, there's so many opportunities to second guess Mm-hmm. what you've done like you're you know do i do i give the line a, a little mend or do i not mend it or do i twitch this fly do i need to set the hook he kind of just sipped it should i let him kind of swallow it before i set yeah. the hook or you know the same thing spear fishing is you know it's not the best shot is he gonna come back and make i can't even count the number of times when i've had a shot on a fish and i've said that's not the shot i want this fish is super interested in me I am in the perfect spot. He's not spooked. I'm totally cruising. He's going to come and turn and make another pass. And I don't take the shot. And then he turns and swims away. And I never see him again the rest of the day. So last year I went to Mammoth on my own to go duck hunting. And I'm sitting in the snow with this little spot of water right in front of me. And all I wanted to do was shoot a Drake Mallard. Like... 17 degrees out. I'm wearing a Tyvek suit. Like I said, all alone. This mallard comes. It's at 40 yards or so. And I'm like, it's going to do one more pass and come into my decoys. And then just <laughs> gone. went the other way. I was like, ah. And you have all day to sit there and go. And, you know, it, it, they're not right or wrong decisions. They're just decisions. Yeah. Because you can't go. You can never know. Like, 
if I take the, like, is, is the, is the duck going to come into the decoys on another, or is this fish going to come back around? Like if I take the shot and spook the school, they'll for sure, they're, they'll be gone for sure. But if I don't take the shot, maybe they'll come back and then they never come back. Like they're not for so many of them. There's split second decisions that you're making off all these tiny little micro inputs that you're processing in, in a millisecond. So they're not necessarily right or wrong decisions. They're just Mm -hmm. decisions, you know, like it's easy to be like, I made the wrong decision. I should have shot when it was at 40 (laughs) yards at the mallard. Right. But it's not necessarily the wrong decision because you can't know that if you Mm -hmm. shoot and you miss, then you might be saying I made the wrong decision because he could have came in closer. Even if you shoot and kill him, but it was a lucky shot and you're like, I'm only going to make that shot 50% of the time. It's yeah. still, you could be like, Oh, that's the wrong decision. I should wait. Cause then I'm going to shoot, you know, the, yeah. but they're not right or wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. They're just decisions. Yeah. And you, but you do have to live with them oh, and totally. you can replay yeah. them over. over and over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> so I obviously love talking about the actual stories, hunting successes or unsuccessful trips, but, the thing that I really like about you is the commitment level. And I feel like a lot of people think that they're really into a sport, but they're not, you know, like I love fly fishing. I would probably tell that to anybody I met, but I only go eight times a year. Like, do you really love fly fishing? (laughs) Like, do you really know it inside or out? You know, And you made a very clear decision to commit to bluefin tuna spearfishing and white sea bass fishing and these things that, like, you have to put in your dues to get the reward, I think, you know. But can you speak a little bit to that side of commitment and where that ambition and drive comes from? Yeah, I mean, kind of what we talked about before, I'm just such a believer that like time is 100% the most valuable commodity mm-hmm. that we have. Um, and you can feel like you have a long time to do stuff, but I just don't know that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's like a super big motivating factor for me. But then in general, I guess I'm a really competitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think growing up and in high school and even maybe later, I was super competitive with other people. But since then I've now just become extremely competitive with myself, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I don't really, I can be stoked for other people. I'm not really yeah. falling into the comparison trap. Like I'm a believer that like the rising tide lifts all ships, you know, I'm never really feeling like jealous of other people or com- comparing, but I'm always comparing against myself. So Mm. it's almost like I'm never satisfied because I feel like I'm comparing my outcome to my potential. Yeah. And so I feel like everyone has a certain potential in every activity and that's influenced by so many different things. It could be influenced by where you are in your life or where you live or your physiology when you were born. Like, you could talk about a basketball player, someone who's seven feet tall, obviously has a way higher potential than someone the NBA, than someone who's yeah. five five, right? <laughs> or even from fly from you know, if you live out in Colorado as a fly fisherman, or you live in Idaho, or you live an hour's drive from an amazing river, 
you have a higher potential mm-hmm. purely based on your location than you may in Costa Mesa where there's yeah. not a right river there. So everyone kind of has their own potential and that's just a factor of your circumstances. But then for me, the question is how much of that potential do you want to earn? Mm-hmm. Because maybe my potential is this, but depending on how much work I put in, I could be operating at 50% of my potential. So for me, the question is always how much of my potential do I want to earn? Mm. And you earn it by, like you said, committing to something and doing the work and doing the research or training or yeah. whatever it is. And so for me, I, I want to earn a hundred percent of my potential yeah. in most of the things, which is not something I can do really, you know, especially because I do different things and like I still have to work and I still have relationships and all these other things. So you kind of have to spread that out. But if, if for if in, in everything that I do, I'm trying to earn as much of my potential as I can. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be better or worse than someone else. Like I'd be happier knowing that I've earned 80% of my potential at some given thing than someone else who's way better than me at that thing. Like yeah. they're way better, but they've only earned 10 or 20% of their potential. Like I think surfing is a great example I surfed as a young kid and then I kind of stopped surfing mm-hmm. um, all through high school. And before I was playing three team sports and, you know, it just wasn't really something I was, I was doing. And so now that I've gotten back into surfing. I'm never going to be as good as someone who surfed as a kid. It's yeah. just like the way that your brain learns about coordination and whatever. Like I surfed with a buddy in San Diego last week and he grew up surfing and he's been in med school and in residency and he's probably surfed four times in the past four years. Mm-hmm. And I've been living in Hawaii and I surf all the time and whatever. And we go out and he's going to surf better than me yeah. every time. Yeah. And if he never surfs for the next 15 years and I surf every day and then we go surf, he's still going to surf better than me. But that doesn't really bum me out because it's more like, again, I'm comparing against, okay, so what is my potential mm-hmm. as a surfer? Like how much of that potential do I want to earn? And I guess, yeah. So, yeah, I, I obviously like I was just talking to, in the last podcast with Eric about duck hunting and how he hunts from sunrise to sunset and how much potential and even probability your chances increase just by being there the whole day versus half of the day. But your mentality is like, I want to be present in what I'm doing the whole day, whatever that is. I, I mean, honestly, I know that in your work and I don't know your relationships that much, but I know your personality enough to be like, I know that you're just this person that gives a hundred percent where you are, you know? So it's like going that extra mile to go fly fish a place where somebody else can't go. Sometimes that doesn't go well. And then sometimes that leads to the best opportunity for you, you know, but the last thing I want to do is be that person that said like, Oh, I was too tired to walk that far. Totally. Right. And it, it and it's, it's more like it, it's a selfish thing because I don't want to have to live with that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was saying before about the tuna thing is that if I went for it and I did all the things and I never got the chance to shoot one, maybe I just, I didn't have the friends. Cause I've been lucky, right? I got friends who got boats and they go for yeah. them and I found a little crew. Like if I didn't have any of that and I haven't been able to get it done and the tuna disappeared, it's like, can I live with my decisions around that? And the answer would be yes, because it's like, I, you know, but if you, if you never gave it a, a full go, if you knew you were half assing it, it's harder for me to live with that. Like I, I don't sleep at night when I feel that way. Or if you go out fly fishing and you kind of like, you know, you feel like you got the wrong fly on, but I don't really feel like tying a new one on. So mm-hmm. I just fish the one that's on the line <laughs> and then it's kind of cold and you know, that wades deep. And so I maybe pass that hole and then you don't catch anything. It's mm-hmm. like when you go home, you got to look in the mirror and be like, you're, you're a little pussy. Like you bail, you know, like if that's something that you care about and like, you know, there's certain things in my life that I don't care about that much that I'm not necessarily going to put that much effort into because there's only so much of yourself that you can spread around and you can, you know, miss as much sleep and wear as much dirty clothes and whatever else as you want. But there's only so many hours in the day. So I think you have to decide what it is that you care about. And then from there, be willing to, to sacrifice and suffer for those things. And then regardless of the outcome, you can feel good about it, you know? Yeah. Was there ever a time where you were going to throw in the towel in, let's say spear fishing and just say like, you know, like maybe this bluefin tuna thing is not working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's other things where I've been like, maybe I'll throw in the towel, but yeah, spear fishing. No, that's kind of grabbed me from, from day one is something where I was like, this is really cool. I really like this. I really like the process. I really Mm -hmm. like the experience. I really like what you get out of it, both physically, mentally, practically, as far as eating food. It was something I was like, I felt like I was naturally good at Mm -hmm. at least swimming, holding my breath, you know, things like that having grown up and around the ocean. So I felt like not only was it something I really enjoyed, but I, I felt like, you know, going back to the potential thing, like I do have the potential to be good at this. Whereas I know I'm never going to rip on a surfboard. I can Mm -hmm. do anything that I want to do. And like, I could be a good surfer. I can surf big waves, like whatever. I'm never going to like be an insane surfer. I only have so much potential there. It doesn't mean I still like that. I don't love surfing or I don't want to surf or get better at it. But I think for diving, especially it was like, not only do I love everything about this, but I also feel like I have the potential to be good at it. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. it's the feeling of setting goals and achieving them or progressing, I think is a really addicting feeling, you know, whether that's anything in life. Like I joked that my girlfriend and I, we went and bought rollerblades like two years ago Yeah, and we were terrible, like, yeah. like going to fall and like break my arm terrible. And we've slowly gotten better and it's so stupid. Like everyone would be like, oh, it's, you're a kook. Like you're on you're riding around rollerblades, but I don't know. I really enjoyed it because I <laughs> love the process of learning and getting better at things yeah. I think is a super addicting process. And it's one that makes you feel really good. And it's easier in an activity that you've plateaued at yeah. to be like, Oh man, like this sucks. Or like, I'm yeah. over this, you know, one of the big things that I feel like I always deal with in my own personality, which is why I think I like talking to you so much is, when I was in college, I like 
skated a lot and I wanted to be so good at skating, but there's always like that thin line of like, am I half-assing this or am I going full board, like all the way, you yeah. know, and skateboarding is kind of a good example too, because like, obviously there's so much danger of like, if I jump down these stairs and try to grind on this rail, <laughs> like I'm going to get hurt, yeah, you know, for sure. it's like a very like tactile way of just knowing the danger in front of you and deciding whether or not you're going to say, screw it. I'm doing it. Yeah. Or backing off and being like, not today. And I struggle with that. It's like a legitimate thing where it's like with all the business business ideas or like the podcast or anything like there's this moment where you decide whether or not you're going to go for it and stick with it or just say like, you know, like that's for somebody else. Yeah. To- and, it, and I don't think that means you have to quit either it just means you're taking a different approach to it you know Mm kind of what i was saying you can't spread yourself too thin like when i brush my teeth at night i'm not like i'm gonna brush these teeth like the best that i can brush (laughs) them you know and if you just want to go skateboarding for fun or there's definitely things in my life where like i used to play a lot of beach volleyball and yeah there was a point where i was like really like okay i'm gonna play i'm gonna get better but like for the most part now if i play beach volleyball that's just like a fun thing for me to do with friends and hang out at the beach and whatever i'm not like gonna be stressed out if i like feel like i played like shit or or whatever else because that's just a for fun thing but i think it's healthy to have certain things in your life yeah that you are willing to to commit a lot to Mm -hmm. and really try to be better at like i think the world celebrates mediocrity in so many ways and people tell you like oh it's okay to be mediocre and i think it's okay to be mediocre at things that you're okay with being mediocre being mediocre at but you got to have some things that you want to be really good at and you're willing to fail and put yourself out there for and ideally one of those is your career but that doesn't work out for everyone right so you know i think and i think even if you have a career where you feel like that it's still healthy to have something else on the side that's mm-hmm. just for you. And it doesn't have to be like, I don't know. I feel like I don't watch TV. I don't spend time on the internet or play video games or anything. People are always like, Oh, like Borch hates video games. It's like, I don't like, <laughs> it's just not for me. But if you're yep. someone who loved that and that's what you decided, you like, can make a lot of money. Yeah, totally. Like, I, like somehow. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I just think it's a healthy mindset to have a goal and be like, I'm going to work for this. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to sacrifice for this. I'm willing to do things that aren't fun that I don't want to do in the moment to achieve this goal. I think that's like our human psychology yeah. is really wired to benefit from that. So if you're a video game guy and you're like, I'm going to be the best sniper in call of duty and you want to grind on that, then grind like on it. Yeah. more power to you. Yeah. Like that's not for me, but I think just having anything that you're passionate about is really important. And I think Mm -hmm. the world celebrates mediocrity and tells people like, Oh, you know, like like, tone that down, tone that down. Right. (laughs) But I'm kind of like, no, like tone that up. Like if you're a video game guy, like, like, fuck yeah. Like I don't want to play with you, but like you should go nuts with your video game friends, you know, or like we, you should go nuts on fly fishing or the podcaster yeah, it doesn't make any sense that I'm going to fly back from Hawaii after being there for 30 hours to try to maybe shoot a bluefin, but like, it doesn't need to make sense. I think that's like a really important part of, yeah. um, like 
life is just I think, being stoked. I think in that, I almost want to finish the sentence where you're saying like the world celebrates mediocrity, but the universe celebrates passion. And I don't want to get all like no, spiritual no. about Dude, it. It's hundred percent true. But like we're built to be passionate people. We're built to be so stoked that we only need four hours of sleep because we're excited to go do that next thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times like we're just comfortable, comfortable and it and it's easy to stay in that comfort and like it totally lacks story like it totally lacks that edge of our spearfishing is so primal it's so raw but you never there's something that's so unique about being underwater with a spear gun shooting for you a huge fish that you can't even comprehend that in so many ways like there's this idea of i don't want to say reaching your full potential because i know that that's not it but if you almost like look back in history and you came home to like a village with a 200 pound fish like that accomplishment is I feel like our bodies still send those signals, uh, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. I still, and, and I think that's just anything like you, you can set different goals, yeah. but it would, it's kind of as, as you said, like, Oh, the universe re- is super rewarding to people who are passionate. And I think that's true. I think people who are successful are people who are passionate. Uh, I think people who are interesting and happy are mm-hmm. people who are passionate. And I do think there's a, a piece of it that it's about, being uncomfortable like when you mentioned be- people being too comfortable like i don't know i watched that uh free solo movie like forever mm-hmm. ago with alex honnold and i loved it but there's this quote and he's like anyone can be comfortable and happy like why do you want to be comfortable and happy or maybe it was warm and cozy he's like anyone can be warm and cozy like why would you want to do that like yeah. you know and i, I he, like, he just doesn't even understand like like that like that's not special yeah. and i don't know there's no you know i don't want to say like yeah you gotta like be gnarly take a to, cold shower yeah. every morning but like i yeah. do think there's something to be said for things being uncomfortable and that's where the passion comes in because that's what drives you to keep doing it when it's not mm-hmm. like you know i'd come back from diving and christine my fiance would be like was it fun i'd be like i don't know if that's I, I mean fun. yeah it is but like fun's not really the right word you know like i woke up at four and i was all tired and then the boat was super cold and it was choppy and then i had to poop in the water and that was weird and then like yeah. you know i was diving all day and i'm exhausted now I smell like fish and i smell and, terrible yeah. and whatever and i was bummed you know I was, I was bummed and then i was stoked and then i was so bummed and then i was more stoked and you know so like fun's not really the word, but I, I do think that we as humans are wired for that. And I think it's why you see people, you know, joining studios where you go and do an ice bath or do a sauna or whatever, mm-hmm. because they're craving that discomfort and yeah. they're craving the challenge. I, I really think more than discomfort, it's the challenge. Like you can live in our world today and never really be challenged. Mm -hmm. And then maybe that sounds like a privileged thing to say, depending on where you come from, but depending on where you are in life, if you're like, I don't really want to be challenged. Like, yeah, you can have your job and you can phone it in and you can make some money and you can sit home and you can watch Netflix and hang out and order dinner and all that stuff. And you're never really going to be 
uncomfortable. You're never really going to be challenged, but I don't think that's a very fulfilling existence. Yeah. I know that this might be, I want to talk about this at some point in the podcast episodes, but like almost the whole midlife crisis idea of like you get to being 40 years old and you look back and you just go, what was that? Yeah. It's exactly what we talked about. Like people think they have forever as far as time. And then they wake up and they're 40, 50 years old and they have two kids and a wife and they have a mortgage and they have a job that they're not psyched on. And they go, what the fuck? Like, you know, I always say this thing and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you on the podcast and maybe you know the answer, but like you're great grandparents on your parents side or, or, mm-hmm. or, or either side. Do you know about them? At I all? do. I, I know, I know enough history. So crazy enough. Um, my brother and I are kind of like great, great, great grandfather, uh, was actually one of the whalers. They would yeah, go from that. Na- Zach's Nantucket. got the tattoo. Yeah. yeah. They would go from Nantucket and sail all around South America and go to the Pacific ocean. Okay. But what about on the other side? Do you so know? on the other side, they were middle American. Do you know their names? In Iowa. I, my mom does. Yeah. I, see, yeah okay. Yeah. So this is my point because yeah. I could ask myself the same thing and I don't know that much. Like I knew my one great grandpa and this is great grandparents. Like if we go great, great, yeah. Nobody knows shit about them. Yeah. That's it. So I feel like the midlife crisis is people r- think that like, oh, they have all this time and they have all this thing and that like all this stuff is important or people are going to remember like what kind of job I had. And then they realize that like, no, like you don't have a lot mm-hmm. of time. And in the scheme of things, like your direct descendants, two, three yeah. generations, like you, you don't I even do. know their names. I and do like, remember. I, I'm not calling you out because yeah. I don't know my great grandparents' yeah. names. So it's like we think it's so important yeah. and like, oh, whatever. But like l- literally within a couple hundred years, your direct descendants won't even know your name. Like, yeah. do you think they're going to care whether you like called in sick too much to go fishing yeah. <laughs> or like whatever, you know, like, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. And I think that's the midlife crisis is people start to realize that. And they're like, holy shit, like it's been 40, 50 years. And I think it a lot of times happens right at the point where you start getting worse at things or you start, your body starts falling apart because you do it. And then you start to feel like you can feel like, you know, when you're 25 or 30, like, oh, like I can do this forever. And then you start to realize like, oh, like I can't do this forever, you know? And so it's when you, when you get to that point it goes back to, can you live with the decisions that you've made? Like, you know, maybe you, you didn't achieve what you wanted to, but to me, like Mm -hmm. I, I can live with failure. Like I fail at things all the time, but I can live with it. If I can say, I gave that my best shot, or even if not my best shot, maybe because there were other circumstances or family things or, or I had to do, you know, I had to care about my relationships or other stuff, but I can live with saying like at, at that moment in time, I did what I could do to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Like I put myself out there. I went for it. I wasn't shying away from going after it and it didn't work out. Like I can live with that. Yeah. What I can't live with is would be looking back and being like, I didn't get this done. And you know what? I was sleeping in till 8.30 a.m. Like all cuddled up in my blanket every morning. And maybe if I got up and like worked on that a little harder (laughs) or sent a couple more emails. Like I could have made that thing go, you know what I mean? Like I can't live with that. And I I think that's like the root of the midlife crisis and people try to recapture that time. And you know, I think you can like at 50 people still do a lot of crazy stuff, but 
Yeah. yeah, I so I do remember my grandma has told me that my great grandfather on her side did fly fish. It's like a weird like connection where I'm like, is that like is it genetic that people like pass through like like I said, the great 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 grandfather or whatever was the whaler. Yeah. And now Zach and I are like so addicted to the ocean that yeah. it not just surfing but spear fishing and offshore fishing and like that idea of you seeing bluefin tuna foam you're like is this genetic like has this been passed through my genes and my blood to feel so riled up about this or yeah. is it just me in that moment and obviously there's all these i kind of believe it's both obviously yeah. no it, it, it's a little bit of both and i think it, it just takes the certain type of person and i that's why i, I always talk about the video game thing because i think people think it's that like you'd be that you and I would be super different from some like gamer nerd, but I actually don't think so. Like yeah. I, I feel like I don't relate to like 80% of the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's like a weird thing to say, but typically like, I just feel like I don't relate to people very well, yeah. but I feel like I would relate to like a gnarly gamer dude, like I way I, more I, than I, I would relate to someone who just wants to like sleep in and eat pancakes and watch Netflix. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I literally, it doesn't compute in my brain. Yeah. So I literally do have the same sentiment. If I'm at a party or something, all I want to do is talk about what yeah, people just, are passionate. Yeah. About. Just tell me something <laughs> interesting, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like if you're into games, I literally, which I think is why I like doing the podcast, is because I can, I hope, find that one thread and pull on it enough that you for sure start being stoked about what you're stoked about. But it's that that basic idea. I just want people to feel alive. Like I literally just want people to be passionate about one single thing. Yeah, and if that's music, that's music. If that's you know, you it's know me anything. every single basketball player. Hopefully it's who, something positive, yeah. right? Yeah. Other than like <laughs> yeah. being a criminal, but whatever that I'd like, I don't know. I would still relate to that yeah. more than like, yeah, I don't, it's, it's a weird time in the world because I think about this too. Cause we spend so much time out in nature and mm-hmm. you think about fish, well, you know, birds, like all, or you have to learn all about them, yeah. like deer, turkey, whatever oh, it is that, so you're, much. that you're targeting. And there's really never, lazy versions of these things or like comfortable. Like I, I had yeah. never seen a tuna and been like that tuna is really comfortable. You yeah. know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's yeah. not a thing that exists in the natural world, but as humans, we've created a society that has an em- that has an emphasis on making things easier, making things easier, making things more comfortable and almost making people feel weird for being too passionate about something Mm -hmm. where it would say like, Hey, tone that down. Like, you know what? Like you're not being responsible. You shouldn't spend all your time tying flies in the garage and reading about fish and dreaming about fly fishing. Like you should be, you know, organizing your house or like, I can't believe you don't have a dresser. Like all your clothes are just in a suitcase for six months. Like you're not a real adult. Like you have to get a dresser, (laughs) but it's like, no, because I can't get a dresser because you've been in the garage, like tying flies and like frothing out over this one thing. And I, I I don't know. I, I just feel like that's a really weird part of our world where we focus so much on comfort that like other people will view that part of your life and be like, I don't understand why are you going to go to mammoth by yourself and wear a Tyvek suit and wait for one mallard in 17 degree weather just for you to make a decision that turns out to be the wrong one and to fly away and you go home and people are like, 
what the fuck are you doing out there? <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't you, you know, but it's yeah. you, like, if you don't get it, then you, it's hard to explain it to someone mm-hmm. who doesn't get it. And you can explain it to anyone who's passionate about something else because they're willing to sacrifice for it. But I just think that's a weird part of our yeah. society that we don't celebrate enough is like, I think it's rad when I see someone who I feel like is like, crushing it in one area and then like mm-hmm. you go to their house and they're like mattresses Disheveled. on the ground and they're eating like hot pockets and I'm like i'm not saying that's what, what you should strive for obviously like if you have kids or family or like mm-hmm. i have a fiance like i shouldn't be neglecting all that stuff but i think it's cool to see people who are all in on stuff like yeah. that and i think those are the people who are successful um in in the long run, my you know? brain, like I feel so bad often, like you're here in my house. It's not as clean as I want it to be, but I also at the same time, I'm literally thinking about the next podcast or the next adventure, or the next fishing trip I'm going to do. And I can't think about cleaning. No, it's, it's, you know, it's like, not I, important. Yeah. It, I it's, can't go into like, Oh, I'm going to go back to normal life. Like my, my brain's thinking about what are the white sea bass doing in 60 no, degree no. water, you know, or whatever no. it is. And, and I, I feel like people who lack important things in their life make other things more important. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have anything that exciting in your life, all of a sudden you might be like, Oh, like I can't believe these dish towels, like they're awful, like whatever they don't match because like there's not enough stimulation. So you have to like everyone, needs a certain level of stimulation to Mm. exist, you know? So people are finding that out of these like ordinary situations. And I think it creates like, it'd be way healthier. You know, I don't know if you look, (laughs) there's so many thousands of years of evolution behind our biology and our psychology. And we've really only been living comfortably, like truly comfortably for like a hundred years. Yeah. Maybe e- 50 years, 70 years. Yeah. Like if you, like, even if you or me, like got dropped off in the 1850, we'd be like, dude, these fuckers are core. <laughs> like, this is so gnarly. Like we'd be the softest people around in 1850. Yeah. And like, you know, you could make an argument that people who hunt or fish or dive or in our circle are more of the capable human yeah. beings yeah. today, but you could drop us off just a hundred years ago and we'd have to be taken care of and handheld for literally everything. Like, yeah. and we'd be like, this is so gnarly. Like, what do you mean? There's no hot water. Like there's not a stove. I have to make a fire. Like, <laughs> how do I do that? Like I sleep outside. Like, and that was just a hundred years ago. And there's so many tens and thousands of years of biology behind that type of existence. Yeah that I just don't think that we're like wired for that. And the way out for me, at least is being passionate about things and setting goals and trying to go after them and giving those things importance rather than focusing on, I want to be, you know, as cozy as possible. Yeah. Anybody could be a woman. Cause yeah. Right. Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, 
But yeah, it's crazy because I, you know, and then I always think in our head like, Could oh, you imagine like, that it says that on your eulogy, like yeah. he was warm and cozy, <laughs> right? Like no one would, no one would care. But it's, it's yeah. wild because like you and I think like, oh, we're doing it, we're out here. Yeah. It was seventeen degrees. I was in a Tyvek suit, like I waited all day. Like, yeah. dude, drop you off in 1850, 1900. Like you, you I would be like, you're at the least lame, I've been you're here the lamest yeah. dude around. Like you know. So I just think it's crazy how yeah. much society's changed because that wasn't that long ago, you know. Like my grandpa was born in 1935 or yeah. 1940 or whatever. Yeah. Like, dude, even, even the thirties, like what about the people in the great depression? Like it's yeah. mind blowing yeah. to think about being there and where we've come specifically in, in the United States. Cause you can go to other countries and obviously yeah, people have a, a way less yeah. comfortable existence, but it's crazy to think of the progression. I mean, someone who's alive today, who lived through the great depression. Like yeah. what? I yeah. don't know. It's, it's almost so weird. Like, yeah. yeah. But then it, it, what's interesting, the most interesting to me is you look at that trend of life becoming easier and easier and easier. Mm-hmm. People becoming healthier and healthier and healthier, less danger, more wealth, more prosperity, more everything that you think would be good. And happiness goes happiness down. goes yeah. down yeah so like so far down so far yeah. down yeah and if you you can look at the world but it's easier to just look at the united states right like mm-hmm. how many more people would say they're depressed or they see a therapist or they're on antidepressant medication yeah look at the suicide rate like all these things have gone up while by every other metric we've only become more successful more prosperous better healthcare doctors right. able to cure disease like so, uh, yeah, I just, I, d- I don't think it's in our nature to live Which, like that. Obviously, like something like therapy is, is so important. Like I've been to therapy for a hundred percent, you yeah. know, but it's this idea that like, in something that I love in all of life is this idea of like initiation, like the native American culture had for so long, this culture of initiating their you know, adolescence into the tribe. Right. So it's like, as you get into life, like you already know your limit because you just went through it. You know, like you went out into the woods for three days and three nights with no water or whatever it is, and just had to be there and deal with yourself and push yourself to the limit. And then you come back and you're in a way on your way to wisdom as the tribe elder who's maybe 30 years older than you has all this life wisdom because they've pushed their body and mind and all this stuff to the nth degree. Like we have this ability now to forego that because it's just like, Oh, just put it on the credit card or, Oh, do this. Everything's comfortable. So we go through life never knowing our limits. Like we never know how far we can push ourselves. Totally. And I I think you see that existing by the type of institutions that are popping up that are super successful. And you could look at workout classes or whatever, but like, I don't know. I think if you went back to the early 1900s or or late 1800s or whenever, and we're like, oh, people are going to pay a lot of money to go somewhere with another group of people where they do things that are really hard and someone like yells at them the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, what? 
Like that is so weird, but I feel like people are lacking that. So they're craving that. It's why mm-hmm. soul cycles, a thing or other workout classes or the ice bath. They're like, I don't know. I get these ads on Instagram all the time from some like Navy seal thing where you go and it's like a retreat and they basically just fuck you up for like <laughs> three days, dude, like, like full, like, like bud style or yeah. whatever, you know, like they're basically doing that, but like as a civilian, like, like you're going to pay yeah. money. Like someone's going to be like, I'm going to take time off work. I'm going to kiss my wife. Goodbye. Like, sorry, kids. I won't be at soccer practice because I'm going to go pay money that I worked hard for, for some dude to like fuck me up yeah. and like make me do a million push ups and manual labor and like, get wet and tired and cold and like, like people pay for that, which is weird, but it shows again that like, that's what people are craving because they're lacking that. Like, I don't think you could explain that to people. And we're only talking about a hundred years ago. We go back like a thousand years. Like people are going to work hard and they're going to pay money for someone to make you get cold and uncomfortable and like lose sleep. (laughs) It's such a weird concept, you know? Oh but gosh, it's indicative yeah. of like yeah. people crave that. Yeah. Yeah. They they really do and like not just that adventure style but also like the sanctity of life and like all that stuff like I have this weird idea that like I'm actually not afraid to die because I feel like I've already lived. We're, we're all doing it. So everyone, yeah, yeah. we're all going to get there. But like so many people are afraid to die, I think because they've never truly lived. Like they've never gone and done that thing. And like to some degree, I think like things like Christianity have kind of screwed things up to be like, oh, well, one day in heaven, you'll go get to shoot bluefin tuna. Which who knows? Like (laughs) personally, I don't think that I believe in that. But even if I did, I'm still not going to be like, oh, well, like. Yeah, it's going to be a mad tuna in heaven, so like, I might as well stay home. I'd be like, no, yeah. this is sick. I'm going to shoot mad tuna here, and then I'm going to go to heaven and do it again. Like, yeah. I don't really think so. I think I'll probably just be worm food. But yeah. I do think <laughs> that it's weird to me when people believe that, but they're postponing I'm like, okay, I understand the belief, but like, yeah. don't, don't you want both? Mm-hmm. Like, what you know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm just greedy, but like (laughs) I I would want both. Like, okay, like yeah, it's gonna be real dope when I die. But like, why wouldn't I still live a cool life and then have it be dope Mm -hmm. when I die, not just like sitting around? Yeah, it's waiting for obviously like we're not wishing our own deaths to come anytime soon because I would never want that like at all. But in that way of just trying to live every day at such a degree that I don't have any regret. Like I don't look back and be like, I had a little bit more energy, yeah, but I wasted it. And I'm just wired that way. Like it's hard. It's harder for me to sleep a day that I didn't work or like didn't work yeah, hard totally. than it is. Obviously like if you're out getting up at 4am to go do something, you're going to be tired but there's like that accomplishment side of things that says like, I gave it my all today. Yeah. You know? And I, I think there's a lot of people too, who like, you know, like kind of what we were saying, you have limited energy, right? So you have to realize that saying yes to things is saying no. 
yeah. to other things and saying no to things is saying yes. Like they're yeah. one in the same. So you have to be like, I've become ruthless about mm. what I would give my energy to. Yeah. <laughs> like people are like, dude, can you come hang out? And I'm like, no, like I cannot hang out. Like I don't go out at night really mm. ever. I don't drink anymore. Basically like I'll have some beers here and there, but like I lived in Hawaii for like three years and everyone would come and visit and be like, where do we go out? And I'd be like, dude, I don't know. never been out. I do, I've never been to a bar. Like I literally don't know because I just, I don't have the energy to be giving to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think people can feel like, Oh, like I'm waking up early and I'm going to work and I'm doing this and I, I don't have time to work on my dream. It's like, I like, I hate that saying, like, I, I don't have time. It's like, okay, like I, and I wish someone would do this for me. Cause like, obviously I'm not perfect, but I wish someone would come into my life and like film me for a month mm-hmm. and then do a time audit yeah. and just make me watch videos of myself scrolling Instagram uh-huh. or sitting around just being like, look at you, yep. you stupid fuck <laughs> here. You are on earth, like healthy, ready to go do anything. And you're sitting on your couch looking at a phone. Like, look how dumb you look. Like I wish someone would do that for me, but I feel like there's (laughs) so many people who like, they really need that. And if you add it up, like, okay, like how many hours of TV shows have you watched? Like Mm -hmm. how many hours have you spent on Instagram or social media or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're doing? And like, those are all things that are easy to paint as negative, right? But there's other things that could be like more positive. Like how many hours have you spent reading books? Like I love reading books. Mm -hmm. I think it's really positive and like a rad thing, but I honestly haven't read very many books in the past year or two because like I've decided to put my time elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like yeah, you, there's a lot of people who are feel like they're working hard, but they're not getting anything done. Or they're like, where do you find the time to do that? And it's like, well, you kind of have to be ruthless about what you're going to give your energy to. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you, if you want to, you know, start a podcast or do whatever, like, yeah, you're not probably not watching Netflix tonight or like Mm -hmm. going to the bar or like scrolling Instagram. Like we're here doing a podcast on, on Monday night because that's the time that it worked, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of times where I feel like, especially with duck hunting or fishing on the weekends, it's Friday night and I, it's hard to manage the emotions because obviously you want to have fun with your friends and like, especially like dating somebody or, you know, you have a significant other and it's like, maybe they don't have that same drive to wake up and go duck hunt and sit in a cold swamp all day. But like for me, like (laughs) your girlfriend doesn't want to do that. No, (laughs) you know, like for, for me, like that is where I'm putting my energy all week to get ready for that. You know? And I, the thing is I stopped having fun. Like, Like people are like, Oh dude, like, don't you want to go have fun? It's like, well, no, I, I won't have fun because I'll go to the bar and I'll sit there and I'll stand around and be like, fuck, mm-hmm. I could be like, I could be going after the shit I want to go after right now. And instead I'm here buying $12 beers, talking to people who I think are boring. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not having fun. Like, I don't yeah. know. It, like, yeah. it, like it's not like this pull of like, dang, I really want to go have fun. Like there are things that are fun and I will do those. But like the weekly thing or people like, Oh, like you should watch this show. Like, I really like it. Like dude, so my like guilty pleasure when I fly cause I fly all the time is I watch movies on planes mm-hmm. cause I'm stuck there. Yeah. But like I don't enjoy watching TV at home. Even if it's a movie that I loved on the plane, like it was amazing. But like if yeah. someone's like, Hey, do you want to watch that movie this Saturday? And I'm like, no, because I I'll sit there 
and be looking out the window or being like, Oh man, like, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even have to be hunting or spearfishing, but I could be like, I could be hanging out with my fiance and we could be doing a rad trip or I could like go hang out with my grandpa who, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know how much longer he's going to be around or I could go to the gym or I could do so many things that are like on my list of priorities that are so much higher for me than those other things that it's like, I I have a hard time enjoying them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Mm -hmm. people trip out on me like, dude, like, why aren't you having fun? We're like at a party and it's like, well, I'm, I'm trying, but like, I can't yeah. <laughs> stop thinking about, and that goes back to what you say. If you've had a day where, or a week or whatever, where you're really doing it, then it's like you sleep better at night yeah. or you can go like do date night or go to the bar with buddies and enjoy yeah. it. But if you're not doing those things, it's that sense of like uneasiness. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, that's the midlife crisis, but just yeah. amplified. That's yeah. like your whole life has just been that uneasiness is creeping up. And then someday some guys like, I don't know what to do. And so yeah, they, they like snap, you know, yeah. goes and tries to date a stripper and like drive a red Corvette or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I really, it's a tough line. Like, you know, we're humans. We have a job, we have to make money, but at the same time, I feel like it's so much deeper and something that about you as well is like, you're just a storyteller. Like you get paid for work to take photos, but the photos aren't just, you know, a 2d picture of whatever you saw. You're telling a story in those moments. And I really think like your photography speaks for itself, but it's like, you're the photographer that's willing to sit out in the Arctic breeze or in 40 degree water or whatever it is. That's like, I'm going to go where most people wouldn't to get the shot that I want to get or to tell the story that needs to be told. And And I I think even more, sorry if I'm interrupting, but even more important than that is I'm the photographer who's willing to send out 20 cold emails every single week Mm -hmm. or sit there and do invoices or do marketing or do all Mm -hmm. the things that suck because that's like, you know, I always, people are like, Oh, like I'm passionate about this. And it's like, okay, well like, what are you willing to sacrifice for? Cause that's like what it is. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying you, you can sacrifice physically like, Oh, you're going to be in the water for that long. But the same thing comes down to like, okay, to make this work as a job, like I need to be doing marketing. I need to be doing all these other Mm -hmm. things that aren't, sick like it's not fun like i don't like sending cold emails i don't like yeah. people telling me no or whatever yeah but like that's what you have to do if you want to make it happen yeah yeah that's so good um so bluefin tuna fishing is obviously a big passion but um what do you have in the next couple months or year or whatever that might be a goal of yours um in the near future hmm I mean, I think a big goal of mine for the the future is to create a life where the things I'm doing right now are sustainable for Mm -hmm. the long term. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to be single or, you know, even though I'm not single, but not have any kids and not own a home and I don't spend very much money. And, you know, so I, I can afford to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. fishing for tuna or yeah. <laughs> really doing whatever I want. So I think my goal going forward is how do I build a life around being able to do these things while 
having a family and having kids and mm-hmm. all that type of teaching stuff. Teaching them how to do yeah. it too. And I think there's a, yeah. there's, there's a lot of people who have done it and it's just like anything else that it's going to take mm-hmm. work and it's going to take work. That's not fun, you know, yeah. but that's, that's like really what I think yeah. that's the root of the whole thing we've talked about today, whether it's, you know, uncomfortable, whatever it's like, what are you willing to sacrifice for? What, yeah. what are you willing to be uncomfortable for? Cause I think people think like, Oh, uh, like here's how I'm going to work hard. But they think about the parts of working hard that are like still kind of fun, you mm-hmm. know, but you have to be willing to do the parts of working hard that like, yeah, aren't fun yeah. at all ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of my favorite quotes for a long time has been, uh, from the fleet foxes. And it's like, if I had an orchard, I'd work till I'm sore. Um, and just like this basic idea of like, if you owned property and land or a vineyard or this and that like would you just like let it go or would you work so hard that you're sore every day to then have the fruit of your labor later you know yeah i have like strived for that for years just that that's my mentality and obviously it slips all the time like there's so many times that i don't think it's worth it it's actually probably a bigger waste of time to feel guilty no. about wasting time you, in a you, different way. You have to move on. You have to move on, but to come back to that picture and just be inspired and motivated to go after your dream day after day after day, or even like you took six months off and took a break, come back to it, pick it back up and start over. Like, Because my idea in all of this is you never know when that one time that you go bluefin (laughs) tuna fishing, you drop in and the fish are right there. But it took you so long to get there. Like it took you so much, like it took so much hard work for you to get to that spot that, yeah, like maybe the first time you went was just you dropped in, shot a tuna. But life doesn't work like that at least most of the time most of the time you maybe get one or two yeah Yeah, but (laughs) you get one or three one or two like free passes where everything's magical but at the end of the day it's this idea of like grinding underneath the surface so that 10 years from now you look back and you be like i had no idea i was gonna make it this far yeah. But I just kept going. Kept going. You know, I really believe like success in people is when they find their passion and they just don't stop. Yeah. It's like I'm 32 years old. I have my whole life in front of me to be working on it. At, like we said, at any point, it could fall away. But I have 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of health in front of me that's like i'm going to go after this like if i was podcasting for 30 years i hope that i'm not but (laughs) could you imagine like if you worked on it every day yeah totally you would be talking differently you'd be interviewing differently you'd be able to hold so much of a different place than what you were at that one moment where Maybe you tried something for three months and then said, oh, it's not yeah. for me. And I, I think it's 
as exactly as you're saying, it's important to compare yourself against yourself yesterday Mm -hmm. because otherwise the grind is discouraging. Like you have to train yourself to love the grind. And that's funny because you, you listen to like entrepreneurs, whatever they built these huge companies and they always long for like the days when they were bootstrapping it. Yeah. Like my favorite time was when we were like barely hanging on. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like no one's like, Oh, my favorites like right now. And I just like, whatever, like have all the money. It's always the reminiscing about like the bootstrap days. So I think it's, you really have to enjoy Mm -hmm. the grind and enjoy the process and like associate the negative things with like reaping the fruit in the future. Like you have to enjoy working in your orchard because you know that that comes. And I think people get discouraged because there's so many versions of success that we see today more Mm -hmm. than ever, you know, Mm -hmm. on social media on TV, you're hearing like people are always sharing stories of success. Like you could be doing the podcast and, look at you know i don't know there's joe rogan who else is like big probably be like steven oh, ronaldo whatever or dude like yeah. i'm so far away from those guys they have a whole yeah. studio they're so legit like yeah they've always people and you're like oh i just have like my you know folding table from home depot and the dog on yeah. the bed <laughs> yeah. and like my buddy mike who's gonna come get way too caffeinated and like ramble <laughs> about nothing and be like dude like i'm so far away from from that place but you yeah. can't compare yourself to that you have yeah. to compare yourself to like where was i yesterday like what can i do to improve upon this and make mm-hmm. this better and those, those are baby steps and i think the thing that's ironic is if you go talk to all those guys i'm sure they started out in a bedroom or a garage with a folding table from yeah. home Depot and like whatever. And like, that's how it all began. And I think, I don't know. I think that's why like, it's always interesting. People say like, Oh, don't meet your heroes. Cause then you find out that they're just like regular people. Mm-hmm. But I almost think like that's the most amazing reason to meet your heroes mm-hmm. because rather than being disappointed that your hero is like a regular dude, it's empowering to be like my hero's a regular dude. Like there's no reason why you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, you know, I've never met Joe Rogan, but if you go meet him, like, I bet he's just a dude. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, you're going to meet him and be like, Oh man, dude, like he's like a, he's a cyborg. Like that's why, you know what I mean? Like it's all, it's almost empowering because it's just like, yeah, if he like, can do it. Right. There's no it. difference. And whether that's you meet people like I've gotten to meet a lot of athletes and people that I've looked up to just from photography, whether, you know, from the dive world, whether it's Kimmy Werner or whoever, mm-hmm. and you meet them and they're just people. And obviously yeah. they're rad and they're all that they embody all the things that we've talked yeah. about, about being passionate and working about things. But at the end of the day, they're just people. It's not like you meet them and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I could never do that. It's almost the opposite. And I feel like that's why some people are let down when they meet their heroes. But then in some ways I think it's super empowering because you're like, okay, like, so what is it that's different about me? Mm -hmm. And I think 99% of the time, the thing that's different is that you haven't been doing it for as long or you're not working as hard. Mm -hmm. And those are really the two things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, this has been a real pleasure and a fun time. It gets me inspired and stoked to just like keep going after it. And um, I hope your trip to Costa Rica goes well. And I can't wait to you to come back and we'll get after it this summer. Yeah, we'll have some good times. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. And I hope you guys have a good week. Bye.